and Merry Christmas. It is that season and uh, I know it's filled with all kinds of busyness and getting things ready and holiday parties and work parties and everything else. It was interesting, uh, Grace and I were going somewhere this uh, this morning, uh, yesterday morning, and uh, our house is on kind of a hill. It's out west here, and it's it's one of the higher places. And I looked when we were you know, buying the house and property um, in the Hennepin area out there, and they actually shaved a bunch of uh, ground off it to bring it to a certain level, but it still stands high. We used to see on July 4th all the fireworks, I mean, uh, different ones all around the city. It was really a great thing until the trees all grew up. Why do we plant? You know, what, what was that about? Anyway. Yesterday morning, because I think we're set kind of high, we have this um, every once in a while where the clouds, we kind of get where the clouds descend down, and when they're very moist, when they're when they're filled with moisture, they um, and that's at that freezing level, they just they kind of frost everything, right? It's kind of these flocked trees, and we got up and we looked out, and it was just beautiful. These trees were white and all around us, and and we were driving out, and we were just kind of admiring it as we were driving down the road, and. And then uh, Grace said, let's, let's find some Christmas music, you know, to go with it. And, and then we couldn't remember what that station was. <laughs> so we're trying to, and, and we don't really run, know how to work the electronic stuff on our cars very well. We're trying to figure it out because it was a car that we're kind of, we're going along we're, and, and we're trying to, and we, when we finally get it, we're on the major highway and we missed all, <laughs> all the beauty of all that flock stuff because we got that highway and and went by it. And my prayer is that um, you don't miss the beauty and the glory and the incredible love that God has you through this Christmas season. Because it's real easy to do that, right? You know, so we start getting distracted and, and, and we kind of for a moment see it and then all of a sudden we get distracted and my prayer is that you'll see it. But what's really interesting, if you look at the um, Bible and you'll see in the Old Testament there's scripture that points to Jesus coming. But what people didn't realize is the first time Jesus came, what he came in was as a child and, and his light wasn't really that bright. I look at it kind of more like a... Rheostat versus a kind of toggle switch on off. Anybody know what that is? You know, the difference between the two? Turn and tell someone the difference between a rheostat and a toggle switch on off switch. Come on, real quickly, just let them know you're. Okay, okay. For those of you not seated next to an engineer, the difference between the two is it's you know continuous resistance, variable resistance, and you know if it's engineers talking about distinct values of resistance, let let me share with you. It is just so simple. Railstat means basically when you turn it on, it goes a little bit, gets lighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. See, where the on-off is just a circuit breaks and it's just on-off. It's bright and it's not. You can't regulate the lights. What I think is interesting in the coming of Jesus Christ, what we kind of see is Jesus was a bit more like a rheostat light. It wasn't this kind of on-off. We read in the Old Testament, in fact, people, one of the reasons so many people missed it is they didn't see him coming in the way that he was going to come. If you go back, you'll, you'll find that um, it was anything but, as I kind of titled this message, Christmas Bright, when Jesus was born. Few had the idea that Jesus would come the way he came, as a soft light. 
Caesar Augustus and the whole ruling power of Rome missed it. King Herod, who ruled over a whole bunch of territories over um, Jerusalem and Judea and those different areas, he missed it. The chief priest was unaware of it until some wise guys showed up one day. Came to King Herod and asked, you know, where is this child to be born? And they tell him in Bethlehem, they look at, and, and they don't even, it doesn't even appear the chief priest and the high priest and others go to look for him. In fact, most of all, Israel, the people of God who had been foretold this, they had been trained and had been waiting and prepared for this coming, missed it. Because Jesus didn't come with trumpets and fanfare and parades as a bright light that everyone would just see come out of the sky. We're told that the light of Christ when he first came was very small and unnoticed. Isaiah 7 through 12, those chapters, are a series of prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and they're at a time when the nation of both northern Israel, there's a divided Israel at this time in, in Jerusalem, Judea, are split. And they are moving further and further into darkness. They continue to turn away from God. They continue to turn away from the light of his presence. So they move into total darkness. And these prophecies come to the nation at that time. And at one point come to King Ahaz. And, and he asks them to go ahead and to, to, to ask for a sign. And he, in a very kind of mock, kind of a fake kind of godliness, said, Oh, I could never ask God for a sign. God says, I'll give you one anyway. And he says, The virgin shall be with child. And then as you go on, you see, and, and you see the prophecy of Isaiah talking about the continued darkness to a point where it says in, in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 22 that their disobedience would thrust them into utter darkness. And then Isaiah makes this promise in chapter 9. Because the God who is faithful and loving and gracious to people who will just open their hearts and turn to him will see a light because he is a God of hope. And it says that nevertheless, in chapter 9, verse 1, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. Because those two lands are our Galilee. So he's saying in that area of Galilee, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan... It says in Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, now catch this, a light has dawned. Now you'll be thinking, well, they'll see a great light. Yes, it's prophetic in the sense this great light will come to the nation. But it's also great, not so much in the um, quantity of light. It's more great in the sense of the quality of the light. It would come from the source of God himself. In fact, it would be God himself showing up to them. Yet the quantity of light was much more like this rheostat. It's more like, as he says here, and you get hints of this, of the morning dawn. It's like this morning. Anybody get it? How many people are morning people here? Raise your hand. Okay. How many light, how many saw this morning's dawn? Right? It was breathtaking. And, and, and it starts out and it's just, it's dark, utter dark. And all of a sudden you see a little bit and it gets lighter and lighter and it's just beautiful with colors and everything. And just eventually you get the light of day. And he says that's how the coming of Jesus would be. He would be born 
and he would come like the dawn. You get another hint of this in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. You're still staying in this whole series of prophecies. He says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. You know, you have one of those, you know, where you cut down the tree. The tree is just, you know, you don't want it anymore, but you, you don't take the stump out. And what happens is this little shoot, this little bud comes out. And he says, that's kind of what Jesus will be like, this small little little branch that grows and grows and grows, who comes in this kind of small glowing light and gets brighter and brighter. Well, if you watch the, the, the life of Christ, and as I was preparing this and thinking through this message, I, I, I found it very interesting. It is very much like a rayostat light because as he begins, you know, he, he comes into the world and he's, he's hidden. You hardly see it. No one knows where the light is. But then at one point he begins his ministry and the light grows a little brighter. For many years it had remained hidden, tucked away in the backwoods of a rural village called Nazareth. And the light wasn't dimmed at that time due to resistance of sin or selfishness or anything else in Jesus. It was, it was actually dimmed due to the purposes of God. Which can be true in our own life. Sometimes we kind of go, oh God, I really want to make a greater impact. I want to do this. And sometimes God, because of the purposes of what's going on, he kind of keeps that light dimmed. Matthew begins the ministry of Jesus. If you look at Matthew, it's interesting. He begins with the same words that were used in Isaiah. It, 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 he, he says in, in verse 13, leaving Nazareth. Now he leaves, he's about 30 years of age. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Matthew says, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's close at hand. And you get this picture of Jesus with his light concealed in a small, out-of-town, out-of-the-way kind of village of, of probably not more than a 1,000 people, maybe 200 households, is what archaeologists have said about the city that Jesus was in. But here you see Jesus patiently waiting. Patiently, as a child, he obeyed his parents. Patiently waited and took over the family business when his father died. Patiently waiting in his 20s, training his brothers like his father had trained him to take over the family busy business. And finally, when his brothers are old enough, he's cared for the family. He gets to the age about 30, and now the Lord says, you can go. I want you to begin to shine the light that I've placed in you. I want people to begin to see it. Jonathan Kahn who has a New York Times best-selling book called The Harbinger. It just kind of, a few years back, was really popular. But he writes a devotional book called The Book of Mysteries. And he he talks about a, a teacher with a student. It's, it's day each day, it's kind of they unveil a mystery. Imagine, said the teacher, that we lived on another planet in the universe. And that we heard that the God of the universe had visited one particular planet, the blue planet, Earth. Imagine we heard it reported that he walked among the people. It's one of them. And so we came to this planet to find out which life it was that he lived. How would we find that person? The student thinks, and he replies, I imagine he would have the nature of God. He'd be the epitome of goodness. He'd be holy, righteous, and loving. He would be humble because humility is a part of goodness. And he would exist to do good. 
His life would be about giving of himself. His life would be a gift and it would touch everyone. And in fact, that's exactly what the Bible says. One of my favorite verses, and I've got a lot of them, is found in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Peter speaking to the people who are living on the coast, uh, miles from Jerusalem, um, a bit uh, west of Galilee in that area, a number of miles west of that. And he says to them, you know what happened in Judea. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He says, Come in, you, you, you have first-hand reports of people who told you about this Jesus. In, in fact, you maybe heard it in the news, so to speak. And how he went around doing good. I love that. Here is the report. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And here you have this picture of Jesus who is going around and through his teaching and through his miracles and, and, and as he heals a blind man and, and opens the ears of a deaf person and he, he casts out a spirit of an, uh, an unclean spirit from someone. And even at one point stills a storm and the disciples who are with them see the glory and at one, and at that point go, even the winds and the waves obey him. You see this picture of this light of Jesus as it begins to just kind of shine a little bit brighter. He's catching the attention of people. And then the light of Christ shines most brightly against the backdrop of all kinds of darkness and evil. All the hatred you can imagine comes against Jesus. All the worst that could be done was thrown at Jesus. He's deserted by his close friends, betrayed by those who were his own, and put to death by those he came to save. Khan's devotional, the one I was reading, continues, the teacher continues, besides goodness, what else would you expect of this one if he visited this planet? The student replies, it would have to be a unique life, the most unique life. It would have the greatest impact on the world. Of any life. It would be like a rock thrown into the waters of a lake. It would cease, it would cause reverberations throughout the world, throughout time. It would change the course of history in the world. And would everyone love and praise this life, the teacher said? No. Since it was a fallen world and turned against God, he would be both loved and hated. The forces of darkness would be against him. He would become the focal point of all evil and being the incarnation of good, he would have to come against all evil and being God he would overcome it which is exactly what the light of Christ did he overcame the world and against the backdrop of all this darkness and hate we see the picture of a God who loved deeply and said no matter what is going on in this world I'm still committed to this world I still love this world no matter what is going on in your heart no matter how you've turned away from me I still love you I want you and you see the brightness of this love in the midst of all the hatred in the midst of all the rejection and in the midst of this cross you see the light of Christ shining brightly and it becomes the brightest not only at the cross but think of this the resurrection here you have the resurrection and what I find is interesting we're told that um, that Matthew um, gives us this picture of, of Jesus coming from the tomb. And as he comes from the tomb, it's not, it's not Jesus who is there bright. He, he spares him in a sense. 
Because if you think about it, Jesus at one time had his disciples come to the Mount of Ascension. And, and, and at one point it said that he, as, as he ascended and he was standing before them, he became like this, bright as could be. But here in Matthew, you find that he comes out of the tomb and, and, it's, and Jesus, they don't see him, but as they come to him, it says there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on and his appearance, here's just the appearance of one, not Jesus himself, was like lightning. And his clothes were as white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So you have this picture of this Jesus who comes and he's, he's, his light is hidden and his light is hidden until the point he begins his earthly ministry and through his miracles and through his teaching and, and through eventually his death and now his resurrection, his light shines really bright. But you know what the word of God tells us? That that is still not the brightest light that we're going to see. There is a time that it will come that when he comes back, the light will shine so fiercely bright because he will come a second time. And in the midst of it, this time it will be with all the fanfare and all the trumpets and everything else. And he will shine brightly forever. In fact, before Jesus died, just the week before, he, he was standing by the temple and he was watching his disciples as they admired the temple. And he said, you know, guess what? Look at that thing. It'll be completely torn down. Every brick will be torn down. And he was making a prophetic statement there. He was talking about what happened in that generation. He knew in his heart the word that God had revealed to him, his father had revealed to him, that Rome would come through and decimate the land and and destroy the temple and burn all these things. And he says to him, you know, as beautiful as that is, someday it'll be completely destroyed. And then he makes this little turn and makes a prophetic statement about himself. He says, guess what? This temple will be torn down. I don't know if he said this temple like this. This temple will be torn down. And the amazing thing is in three days he'll rebuild it. In three days this temple, which was extinguished, will come back to life. And he makes these statements in in Matthew. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. He's telling his disciples, just before it gets really dark, It will someday be very bright forever. The light of Christmas, which came just as a glow and then revealed itself. And then will fully be revealed at the last day. I saw a sign this uh, last week when I was preparing this. It said, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. The big reveal at Christmas is this. God is with us forever. And there is a day that he will come back and his brightness will shine. Brighter than I can take in. So what I wanted to challenge us with this Christmas is to think about the light. Because we're told that um, we are the light. You know, Jesus at one point says, I'm the light of the world. And then at one point he looks at you and me and he says, 
for all those who have put their faith and their trust in him. Those who say, hey, look at Jesus, I realize my sin and my selfishness is worthy of eternal separation, but because of what you've done, you've removed that and you've planted your light in me. He says there was a day that you um, opened your heart when your life was not touched by the bright by the light of the Lord. And he says there's a day he turned it on. And Jesus, I am the light. And if you kind of plug into me and you open your life and you begin to follow me, you are now, he says, the light of the world. Isn't that amazing? You're the light of the world. And really, it's only our sin and our, our own, uh, you know, being self-consumed that keep that light from shining brighter. Sometimes the purposes of God. But what I want to challenge you to think about, and we're just going to do a, just a few ways I want to think about it, is think about turning your light up just a notch this, this Christmas. You think about that. What would it look like where you live? What would it look like in your office area and place that you work? What would it look like in the classroom or the school that you may attend? What would it look like as you kind of weekly come across someone who you see all the time? What would it mean for you just to turn up that light just a notch? I mean, we're all rheostats in that sense, okay? There's a time where we, we are lit by Christ, but what does it mean for us to turn up our light just a notch? What if you turn up your light intentionally and said, Jesus, today I'm going to ask you to give me the, the, the desire and the choice to shine more brightly. What if you turned up your light just a notch and did good no matter whether anyone noticed or not? Think about it. No one saw whether you think it's seen what you've done or whether you believe it'll be rewarded or not or whether you, you think it'll make a difference or not. But you just said, I'm going to just, I'm going to shine. I'm going to, my only motivation is that I'm going to do good for goodness sake. Most of what we do is hidden. Most saints are never noticed. Most goodness is not grand and big, but small and full of life. And it's usually full of God. Your goodness unseen and unnoticed is really a great light in the world, whether anyone else sees it or not. Jesus said this often. Imagine God's kingdom be a mere seed. Your little light, your little good act, your little thing that God says, I want you to, to you know, show kindness. I want you to express a heart of love in this situation. I, I don't want you to, to talk back right now. I want you just to listen. I want you to understand. He said it's like a seed. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed of the earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can actually perch in its shade. You have the idea that this unseen, insignificant little thing that you're doing, you don't realize it, but whether you know it or not, and whether anyone else you think sees it, it has kind of this ripple effect. Because God says every good deed that's done, he sees and rewards. I was uh, reading uh, an article from a news re- newspaper reporter, Mary Schmidt, her name, and she writes, this is a small story from a woman I know. 
It was shortly after 7 a.m. Thursday, and the woman had just driven her half-hour commute from the suburbs to the city. Some, Some of you may relate to that. Headed for another day at work, waiting at a light, preparing to turn into an underground parking garage. And she noticed a bus idled at the curb. The driver, still in uniform, stepped out. The area of the town with its networks of roads and alleys is smelly and grimy. And in this netherworld, the driver walked to a ramp near a short staircase where a couple of people appeared to be sleeping. Alongside a baby stroller. And next to the sleeping people, he laid a plastic bag of what appeared to be food. Again, just got out, just did it. That's all, he writes. The scene lasted barely a minute. The light changed. The woman turned, entered the garage, parked, and then to her surprise, she just sat in her car sobbing. I'm not usually a crier, she said later. I think it was just the beauty of this moment I observed totally caught me off guard. It was beauty coupled with this unheralded, unexpected nature. At that time of the morning, she said, I was thinking, here's everything I have to do today. I just fought traffic. What's it going to be like when I get in the office? And then to see such a simple, beautiful thing. The driver's good deed was amplified by the fact that he hadn't sought attention. And as far as she knew, no one but her had noticed. The idea that this bus driver did something quietly and then went on his, with his day really struck me, she said, and made me want to find better ways in my life to make, my, make the time to do that and to make a couple of minutes to do something for somebody who needs help. You may not know whether someone's watching, but sometimes someone just may be. And it's just that little act of goodness seen by someone else, not even aware of it. He gets into a paper and the story has gone to different places because kindness is contagious. This little good act. She just turned up the notch. Turn up the notch and do good in the face of opposition. Be like Jesus in the midst of your trials. In the midst of the darkness, guess what? In the midst of the situation where someone is, um, you're in your, let's just say you're in, in, in a work situation and, and someone's just making it really tough for you. Or they just annoy you, right? You have those situations? And you always have the choice to whether you're going to do good or not. This Christmas, <laughs> do good. You know, there's no command in scripture anywhere that says love your enemies when you feel like it. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be really great if you just, you know, Jesus is going, you know, I just really want you to love your enemies and when you really feel like it, just be good. It has nothing to do with feelings. It had nothing to do with feelings when Jesus went ahead in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of his own trial, in the midst of that time when he felt that opposition had nothing to do with feelings. It had all to do with the fact that he said, you know what, Father, you have loved me and you have been, you know, the graciousness that, that's in my heart, I, I just act out of the love that's within me. And Jesus looks at you and he says, you're the light. 
You don't have to do anything. It's not about you being the light. It's just about you and recognizing you're the light. And then in the midst of that saying, you know what? I'm going to do good. It's not a matter of whether I love because I feel like it. It's a matter of I love because it's the right thing to do. And I want to tell you, in those kind of moments, the light shines sometimes the brightest. Turn up the notch this Christmas. Just, just a notch. Do good with humility and less judgment. Have you ever had those experiences when someone you meet for the first time, you, you meet them and they're just totally different. They look totally different than what you expected. You maybe have talked to them on the phone and you've maybe corresponded with them or maybe you had a friend who told you about them and, and in your mind you get this picture of what they're going to be like and, and all of a sudden you meet them and you go, whoa, and you say something even stupid like, well, you're not anything like I thought. And then they're thinking, what do you think? Right? Well, it happened to Jesus all the time. Jesus was not at all what people expected. In fact, in John chapter 7, verses 40 to 44, it says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. And some said, Is the Christ, is, is the Christ really from Galilee? It's not what we expected. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and that he comes from Bethlehem? It's not what we expected. And so it says in the scripture there was division among the people. Some of them wanted to arrest him and yet no one laid a hand on him. It's really interesting. In the time of Christ, when Christ came, and he came in this light that people weren't expecting, the Bible scholars had created all these very neat and 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 tidy descriptions of exactly where Jesus would come from, how he would come, and what it was that he would do. And when, it's, and when Jesus actually came, he, he didn't fit into all their charts and all their expectations and all the things that they thought would happen, right? In fact, most of the people missed him. Today, we're told this fact that, that Jesus is going to come, and, and not only is he coming in a soft way and through his ministry, he, he began to reveal more and more of his light, and he shines brightly at the cross, and then he comes brightly out of the tomb, and then he says, someday I will come back, and the brightness of which I will come will be brighter than you will ever see. And today, we have people all the time with charts and little descriptions or tidy understandings of how these things are going to happen. And now I just think about it. Think how many people got it wrong the first time. I, I really think we should have learned a lesson from that, right? It doesn't mean you have your charts, you don't do this. But it means is this, that um, there's only a few things we know for certain. That Jesus is coming. The dead will be raised. The kingdom will come. And we're to be ready and serving and waiting, prepared. That's it. The details should all be in pencil. Do good with humility. The reason I bring this up is practice withholding your judgment and your opinions. Ask this question this Christmas. One of the ways to turn up the notch is through humility. Is there anything that you are perhaps too dogmatic about and need to wait and see what God is going to do in the future? Get real about the things you don't know. See, we see people even in our own life in a, in a limited way. We often see people and we make quick judgments about who they are, about what they're going to do, and about what they're going to be like. I saw a poster quote that said, Do not judge. You have no idea the storm I've asked this person to walk through. 
sign God. Turn it up a notch. Do good boldly and without fear. You know, my wife says every once in a while, I really love it. She, she kind of says when she's contemplating whether to do something or not, she goes, well, if it's not going to be bad or hurt anyone, you might as well just do it, right? Do it boldly and without fear. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, he says to them, do you bring a, a, in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on the stand? It's kind of like, when you have a light like this, the whole purpose of the light is to shine, right? The whole purpose that we are lights is that we're to shine, and we're to do so boldly and courageously, so that when God begins to move in your heart, and you have the Spirit of God kind of beginning to kind of give you a thought, and maybe maybe you should do this, and, and you're kind of asking yourself, oh, you know, will it hurt anything? Do it. Just kind of boldly and courageously say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good. Israel is meant to be a light that gives illumination to the nations. Jesus says that we are lights and calls us to be light and to light up the world through our lives. So live holy and courageously, not obnoxiously, but live as, think about it, just live as the most grateful, kindest, most patient, most loving, and understanding people of this earth. And you go, I can't do that in myself. And I go, great, you're where you should be. None of us can do it on our own. We can only do it when we say, Jesus, you need to live through me. Just imagine shining a little brighter this Christmas. I don't know, I'm sure you were moved by number 41. You know who I'm talking about? Yep, President George Herbert Walker Bush. Incredible tribute, right? I thought to myself sometimes, why... Why didn't we hear more about this when he was actually living? Right? This incredible testimony to this guy who people just kind of surrounded him. His enemies, those, those who would be opposed to him. And I just thought about it. One life, even though he was on center stage and everything, we didn't see or hear a whole lot about You know, he talked about, he kind of phrased the whole thousand points of light, and then they would say he shined as one of the brightest of the thousand points of light. And I just thought to myself, someday, there are going to be some of us among us that we're going to stand back and we're going to be so surprised because when, when God puts it up there, you're going to see so much goodness and so many great things happen that we didn't even know that was going on in your life because of your humility and your love and your ability to say, God, I know that in my own strength I can't do this, but today I'm not going to do this because I feel like it. I'm not going to do this because this person deserves it. I'm just going to live the life and be the light like you were. I'm just going to choose this Christmas and throughout my life to say, could you continue to do this, continue to do this, continue to do this. And even in this, in this world, you may not get the kind of George Bush recognition, but you will with God. You will with God. I met with some guys in the group that I meet with and I, I just, uh, we were reading a book and it asked a, a question at a certain point 
And, and the question is this, have you ever made an intentional decision not to allow your desires to be center of your life? And I, I went around and I asked everybody to answer, and they were really great because they were courageous, and, and like maybe one said yes, and a bunch said no. And I thought, well, at first I go, oh, shoot. But then I went, man, that is so cool that they were so honest. I just want to ask you this question about turning up the notch. It all begins really with a question like this. Let me ask you this, and let me ask you to be honest. Have you ever made an intentional decision not to allow your desires to be the center of your life? Or basically, have you ever asked God, would you forgive me of my sin, and would you light my life with your light? And I will follow your desires. Each day, I'm going to say, God, as best I can, I know I'll blow up, but I'm going to follow your desires. Jesus looked at the crowd around him and challenged him with these words. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand, and and as I read this word and as the the team comes forward, I want you just to listen to these words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2. He's speaking about the light. He says, basically turn up your light one notch. Here's ways. Don't complain, be grateful. Don't rush, slow down. Don't judge, seek to understand. Don't offer your opinion, maybe. Just listen and understand. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of living God. Carry the light giving message into the night. Just turn the light up a notch. Grow in your brightness. Be beacons shining out clearly in a world of darkness, holding out and offering to everyone the word of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We would ask that through this Christmas that we see you, the light of the world, that God, our light, by your grace, would grow. We ask that you would, in us, as we follow you, turn up a notch, our light, wherever we go. In Christ's name, amen.